One of the questions I want to talk about as soon as Kim gets here is when do you use TTH? Remember that that's big. <laughs> Kevin uses it every day. And we run it our computer on our computers occasionally. No, I had a kid in as a patient this week who had encephalitis. No, Kim's still having trouble. Who had encephalitis after when he was an infant. And it's not that he had a whole lot of bad things happen, which is what we call age, the tendency to have bad things happen. And people always wonder, when do you run it? On this child, his symptom for two years has been constant nausea. He got a viral infection. And Ever since the virus, he's been nauseated, especially at night, and he has bad dreams, and he has dreams about spiders, and it's nobody's been able to help him. And when his mom and I started talking about his medical condition, he plugged his fingers and put his head down in between his knees, and for a 10-year-old that's as bright as his kid, this didn't feel right. So I ran frequencies for virus in the small intestine. <laughs> what you can't see are the text messages that Kim is sending as she's trying to overcome the difficulties with their computer. Anyway, I ran virus in the small intestine, obviously. I ran virus, I ran concussion in Vegas, but I also ran the virus, all the stomach virus frequencies in the vagus, all the stomach virus frequencies in the small bowel. And one of the ultrasounds that he had medically that hurt because of the way the lady pressed on him, oh, goody, she's here, was her side, the appendix. There she is. Yay. And the thing I added to that program was TH. It just didn't feel right. And when somebody has a really high fever or they have encephalitis or they're really, really sick or they're using drugs or they have a history of drug use or whatever, they're out of their body. And TTH is for the energetic influences that create negative things that happen. So it was an hour and a half. There you are. Yay. <laughs> Yay. I'm so sorry. The Mercury goes direct tomorrow, if that's any comfort to anybody besides me. No, as soon as Kevin, I wrote, I'm like, I don't know. I'm always on 20 minutes ahead. I checked the speaker. I checked the mic. I checked the lights. I checked the quote. I came and then everything was frozen. Uh-huh. And if it's any comfort, Mercury goes direct tomorrow. That it's the last three weeks, and I could. I finally, when things got bad enough, I finally looked it up. Let me finish the story. Yes, that isn't a case where you would normally think to run. Pitch. Hey, I was trying to catch part of it, so I'll listen um, and then I'll replay it later. Yeah, this kid had a constant nausea, worse at night. Worse, any time he got upset and after a viral infection that was a couple of years ago. But in his history, like we had to send him out of the room so that his mom could tell me his history because he 
plugged his ears and put his head down between his knees. Anything medical just freaked him out. So that's a good face. So anyway, so I ran virus in the small bowel, concussion in Vegas. He was hyperesthetic to sharp touch everywhere. So I also ran 40 and 10. And then I ran manually, I ran virus in the Vegas. But I also, on a custom care, put age. It, when somebody has encephalitis, a history of drug use, high fever, a period of time where they're like on life support or whatever, pH is about the energetic influences that feed off of negative events. And this should be a happy, healthy 10-year-old. And he's completely neurotic and in a good family and in a private school and very privileged affluence kind of thing. One treatment, the next day, he came in and so how was last night? He went, yes, no nausea for the first time in two years. Wow. So I did it again, repeated basically the same treatment except for 40 and 10. And we'll see what he does on Friday and then we'll cancel his two appointments for next week. And then mom is totally into this and is taking the core and buying a custom care and all of that. I was just going to say, so how long would you suspect, expect that to last? I won't know. I'm seeing him Friday because his first treatment was Monday. Second treatment was Tuesday. I'll see him Friday. If it lasts a week, pretty good chance it's permanent. But I want to see him in two weeks just to make sure if he's perfect, they can call and cancel. Why would you expect one week could lead to permanency? Because if it was going to come back, it would come back within a week, I would think, in a 10-year-old. If you think of FSM as changing cell signaling and and switching, if you change it and it's changed, and it's something as simple in our world as a viral infection that turned off the vagus and messed up his nervous system and his stomach. Why would it come back? I don't know. I don't know either. It's, and if it hadn't, if it hadn't been a hundred percent effective that first night, say it might be gradual and we have to keep working on it, blah, blah, blah. But In an adult, you don't have a single cell in your small intestine that was there seven days ago. And in kids, they turn over faster. So kids are, pediatricians are magicians. I don't see many children. I used to when I had a general practice. But if you talk to a pediatrician, kids go bad fast. They go from zero to 100, but they also recover fast. Yeah. If you get the right thing, if the diagnosis is correct, right. they get better fast. So, it's, so it should hold. But we'll, that's the other thing. I don't know what your quote for the day is, but mine is flexibility, right, of mind and flexibility in adjusting your treatments to what you get in front of you yeah that you have to 
The word that I had circled for today was progression. Oh, but very similar because how do we progress as clinicians is you have to be flexible to be a successful FSM practitioner. To be a successful any practitioner, you have to be not only flexible. I got a, I actually had time to do emails today. And I, I, I responded to yours. Yeah. And I got an email from a practitioner in India that I that contacted me on Messenger. And then he sent an email. He saved up for a year so he could buy a precision care. Oh. And he said that was okay because it gave me time to immerse myself in the or again, in the podcasts, in the books, in the webinars, in all of the training that gives us the way to think about what you can do with FSM. And what I thanked him for was his dedication, not to FSM, but his dedication and devotion to his patients and getting them well. The the quote that you'd asked me to write came so quickly to me because and I think we should always kind of check in to what our personal mantra is going to be, what our professional mantra is going to be. Because as you evolve, it changes. When you graduate college, it's just to get out of debt. (laughs) (laughs) And get a job. Get a job and start paying off the student loan, right? That was my goal for the first 10 years <laughs> yeah. to not just get a job, but to keep the job and to keep the practice and to you're in like survival mode. Right. Then you get to that point in your career where you're really enjoying what you're doing. And hopefully that comes with learning and getting new tools. And when I was reading what you had written, I just thought it was selfless of you to write that because you could have written so many things about yourself and what you do, but it's just a true testament to what the vision is. And so for me to read yours and I was like, yeah, and I felt like a little side, a little sidecar sidekick. Sidekick. And I'm going to do the same. The hardest thing for me to deal with, honestly, was having fans and having People make FSM about me, and it's it's totally not. And it, I have an ego. I keep it in a shoebox in the closet with a weight on top of it. But it's FSM is about what the frequencies do. I'm just the the coaxial cable that brought it from there to there, and just kept practicing with it. The most important thing about FSM is what the practitioners do with it. Yeah. This year, for the first time, I'm about to lose my mind because the case reports at the symposium, I had to cut them from 30 minutes to 20 minutes so we could do three in an hour. Yeah. We had one video, one from Poland and one from Colorado. And they're going to be shown in the ballroom at lunchtime for people that don't want to do Tai Chi or sit by the pool. And it's, that is the most amazing thing. After 20 years of having to drag people out of the bushes to do video case reports, and the case reports are 
acute burns and radiation scar tissue in the prostate. And a DBT healed in 24 hours. Remember the part where I said we don't treat DBTs? This particular practitioner, God bless her, ignored that and fixed this huge DBT in 24 hours and kept data on it. And it was, anyway, it's getting there. Because eventually, FSM, like, could have a whole weekend that's just case reports. And we're going to put on the website videotapes. So somebody has a case report. They make 10 slides. They do 20 minutes on video. And we create a video library that's not me, it's them. And organize it by subject matter. Yeah, that's a great idea. It is a continual continuum of learning and sharing and progressing, not only what we do as clinicians, but what the frequencies are doing and thinking about them in different ways. For instance, I've been using bleeding 18 more in the last six months than I've used my entire career with FSM. What do you use it for? Anytime something is scarred, I do a drive-by on 18 first. And I never used to doing it first now because it just seems like the logical thing to do. If something is in a scarred or adhered state, aside from the fact, if it happened due to immobility, but if that muscle or connective tissue or whatever has scarred, I have to think at one point it was torn and broken first. And if it was torn and broken, I have to think at one point it bled. That makes perfect sense. That is my reverse engineering of that. And the only time I don't go there, like I said, if something is adhered because it just hasn't moved for so long. So sometimes we see that in the subscap where it hasn't moved. The GH has been frozen, big bunny ear, air quotes. The GH hasn't moved. So there's no upward rotation of the scapula and the rib cage. So it sticks. That's not necessarily bled. But at the same time, if you're doing manual therapy and you are releasing that tissue and you are a little bit too aggressive with it, you are also causing some tearing and some bleeding. Because if you've ever bruised a patient, they bled. So I'm eating my words here because maybe we always need to be using 18. Anytime I treat scar tissue, I always finish with stopping bleeding because anything that's scarred is vascularized. Yes. And when you take apart scar tissue, pretty good chance you're going to tug on a capillary someplace. And yeah, so that's one of the... It's funny. I had a patient today or this week and we ran out of machines and they had a custom care. It was one of those patients where I used all mine and I'm like, oh, if only I had one more machine. And she's like, I have one in my backpack. I brought mine. I'm like, perfect. So... I just was going through, it was a time thing. And I was going through what she had on there that I could use in that moment. And I needed something like an acute soft tissue, workout recovery, something to, I think of it as a vacuum cleaner coming to pick up the debris that I'm about to create really fast. Cause I had found something really deep. I needed to release it, but I didn't have time to do it the way I wanted to. So I had to be a little bit more aggressive. And she's, what are you using this for right now? Explain to me your thought process. And I said, if you've ever been to the dentist and you're filling or you're getting some work done and they're drilling, they put the spit sucker in there to clean up the debris. This is your spit sucker. (laughs) 
And she's like, oh, I get it. And I said, we just don't have time to run it after. So we're going to run it at the same time. So my hope is that as we're breaking things apart, this other machine is just going to clean it up. So we don't have to worry about soreness or bruising or anything like that afterwards. Speaking of, that's brilliant. Speaking of multiple machines, my sister is here and she's got some thoracic discs that are given her fits. She's had them for years, but they really let up because of something she did about two weeks ago. And I was explaining to her, it's the pain pathways from those discs are sensitized because you've had them since 1920, since 2020, 2001. And she said, what's sensitized? Oh, okay. So I went into the core to that slide that says, what do I, why do I scratch when I itch? It's the pain pathways aren't as simple as you think it is. How is it that you scratch? She's not medically trained except for hanging out with me for 20 years. And so there's this nerve and it, this goes to the spinal cord and it's ascending pain pathways and it goes through the medulla. It goes to the thalamus. The thalamus decides whether it's emotionally issue and then your sensory cortex says yeah this is where it hurts right there Uh uh-huh but there are two places in the brain between the midbrain and the medulla that are connected to descending inhibitory pathways so she was asking me why can't I tell people that I'm in pain why can't I talk about it because she I said, this flares up every six months. No, not like I said, no, really. You tell me about this thing, these thoracic discs, twice a year. Oh, it's just something that people, it's something to talk about. I said, yeah, but you watch two movies a day while you're doing your paperwork on your computer. You have a movie running. Tell me about the movies. Don't talk about your pain. Wouldn't I talk about my pain? And as I was describing it, it's like, The pain pathways, as something is this chronic, get sensitized. They go from a goat path to a four-lane freeway up saying, this hurts. But you have two parts of your brain, three parts actually. There's one part of your brain that makes morphine. And the periaqueductal gray has descending inhibitory pathways that hit the dorsal root ganglion right where let's say your knee, let's make it simple. You have arthritis in your knee, right where the knee is sending a message to your spinal cord saying, hey, my knee hurts. Your dog runs out into the street, there's a car coming. And all of a sudden, you can run on that sore knee. Why is that? It's because the periaqueductal gray said, I win. It instantly sends a message down that decreases the pain. This is why we run 40 and 89, to decrease the sensitization and increase descending inhibition. And the complexity of it, I finished this conversation with her and said, I have got to, I don't know, close the clinic and go get a PhD in neuroscience. Because I, (laughs) but just that. And I said, so somebody comes in with arthritis in their knee 
and you only have one machine, you can only treat their knee. But I never use one machine on somebody with knee pain, ever. You have one machine running from the low back to the knee to treat the nerve. And you just look at this diagram. You have one machine running on 40 and 10. And in a perfect world, you have one running on concussion in Vegas. And depending on their history and how they talk about how much their knee hurts, you might need one machine that runs 40 and 89 for 60 minutes. And that's four. She said, what if you don't have four? I said, you're kind of screwed. Oops. I did warn somebody that when you're 76, that filter just, sorry. Explodes. <laughs> I don't know that you're screwed. I just think it will take a lot longer. It takes a lot longer because you have to do it in separate visits. And the problem is with spinal cord sensitization between this week, especially if you're seeing them week apart, if you're seeing them five days in a row, it's not a problem. Yeah. If you're seeing them a week apart, by the time you get to the next week, you're back where you started. Yeah. It's funny. It's been the week of the knee. Like there's been so many knees that have been coming in this week, last week. In California, I seem to see a knee and ankle increase around this time. We have a big half marathon that comes up in March. All the people are starting their New Year's resolutions. So everybody's running bike riding and doing all the things. And I used to think knee pain due to like cartilaginous issues or just wear and tear. You're making a funny face right now because you're reading. You're not listening to me. It's not my story that's making. Marathon, bicycling. No, I was saying years ago, I used to think wear and tear on knees. So meniscus, patellofemoral syndrome, that would be one machine, super easy. But it's not like you said, you have to treat the nerve with one machine because the patient's pain has to go down that visit, regardless if you're treating anything else. Yeah. And the patient's pain going down isn't always as simple as 40 and 396 or 13 and 396. There could be a 40 and 89 component. There could be a concussion protocol that you need to run, especially with an athlete that is stressed out about the fact that they're not moving. Their vagus nerve is going to need to be treated because if they're an athlete and they're not moving, that spells trouble for everything in their sympathetic nervous system. So right, there's four machines. And I haven't even treated the knee yet. Yeah. And that's, you can do it with, for people that are freaking out about now $24,000 worth of equipment, you can do all but one of it with custom cares. Yeah. In 396 on one of them, 40 and 10, 40 and 89, concussion in Vegas, that's four custom cares and a precision care to play with the knee and find out what you need. Yeah. No, it's totally fun. And I have to say, like, I remember that part of the core where you're saying you can't put tissue back that's not there. So if someone's cartilage in their knee is gone, I just want to reiterate to these practitioners that get these patients, that doesn't mean you walk them out of your clinic. There is still so much you can do with neural repatterning, the health of their quadriceps, the pain, just because you're not regrowing cartilage doesn't mean your job is over with and coordinating movement and there was that case report from david murphy where you took it he showed an mri an x-ray cartilage that thick yeah two millimeters 
And then six months later, cartilage, five millimeters. Same views, same radiologist, same knee. It's okay. And then I have an MRI that shows a thin, desiccated L5-S1 disc. And five years later, another MRI on the same patient doing exercises and running FSM. And the disc was white and fluffy and completely normal. So maybe we can change the narrative a little bit because a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So many cases, case reports that I have done that I've heard that deal with when we're treating the joint structure itself. Once that box is checked, where even though you're not fixing it, once the frequencies have targeted the area, it seems like everything else biomechanically can just work better. And if you're a biomechanic geek like myself, I wouldn't dare to try to put somebody through an exercise pattern when I know they are compensating because of a joint pathology, whether it's in the spine or in an extremity. And I'll try to tell them like, your knee's not fixed, your ankle's not fixed, but we're just getting a better foundation to incorporate these exercises so that all your movements are going to be cleaner. And I think once you describe that to somebody, they get it. That is why I thought about the word progression is because no matter where you are in rehab, whether you're in that 20 minute post-op phase, which is my super exciting one when they're still asleep and I'm still lapping a custom care on them. Or with my daughter, who's nine and a half months post ACL rehab, and it's the most frustrating part of it because it's like losing the last two pounds. You don't have pain. You've got strength, but now we're fine tuning everything, all the little proprioceptives, the quickness, the speed, the agility, the torque. You're not done because the nervous system still is not convinced that this knee that has a brand new ACL graft is ready for that. And I have to go back to, it's not as simple as you think. Yes. The cerebellum is a dictator. It does not notify and it does not negotiate. So the first thing I treat with any joint, every joint is scarring on the nerve. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do. To the joint. If I'm working on somebody's knee and the first thing I do, towel on the low back, towel around the knee, the first thing I do is work on the scar tissue and the femoral plexus and the sciatic and that web of nerves that's around the knee. And sometimes even posterior and anterior tibial nerves in the lower leg. I do that before I treat the joint because, and it's scarring. It's not inflammation, scarring because the cerebellum won't let you move a joint or use correct mechanics. The nerve is adhered. The progression, it's a good word, the progression in my world, because I'm neurocentric, is scarring in the nerve. Then you treat the joint with one machine, inflammation in the nerve from the low back to the, let's pretend, stay with the knee. Yeah. But 
sensitization in the cords, sensitization in the brain, and concussion in Vegas. You do it all at the same time, or you can do a drive-by if that's all the time you have. But when you're rehabbing someone and you're you move to the exercise phase, the, the motion will never be normal as long as the cerebellum thinks that there there is a nerve at risk. Even if it's just a little slip of the nerve that's up near the pectineus. Yep. <clears throat> and it's pelvic motion for the chiropractors and PTs that are listening, pelvic torque. So we were talking last night about adjusting somebody's sacroiliac joints and whether you put them on blocks or do mobilization or even if you're an osteopath and you do that. If the ureter is scarred to the psoas, you can do anything you want. And yes, the pelvis will untorque for 10, 20 minutes. They get out of the office and then they're, then it's done. Yeah. You treat scarring in the ureter. The only way to get the pelvis to untorque is to get the psoas to relax. And the only way to get the psoas to relax is to treat scarring in the ureter. And once you do that, then you treat scarring in those branches of nerves that come down under the pelvis. And then 81 and 84. And then you tell the cerebellum to 40 and 84 to forget everything it thought it knew about how the pelvis should behave. Yeah. And then you increase secretions in this. Then you can position the pelvis or move the pelvis in such a way that's biomechanically normal. But for me, because of the way I think about it, that has to be the progression. Yeah. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And it goes back to what I was saying about bleeding before when something is scarred. Because, and in this case, maybe you don't need the bleeding so much because the scarring that happens is due to, especially in the case where we're talking, okay, we're talking about the knee or even with my daughter, who's quite far out of her post-op 9.5 months, there's scarring in those adductors. There's scarring in the hamstrings because her range of motion has not been trained. She's only now getting back to 100% of everything. Things had nine months to stick together. So to your point, the nervous system is, whoa, this is super vulnerable still. So I get it. The graft may look hot, but everything else looks sticky. And ask yourself about the original injury. Is there any way to tear the ACL without doing something that stretches, injures, bruises, everything else on that leg. The ACL is the thing we pay attention to because that's the thing the surgeon can fix and you can see an MRI, but there's no way to have that kind of injury and not have collateral damage is a good word. Yes. No pun intended. Yeah. Okay. We've got to answer Maddie's question. We do. So you go ahead and you can read it or I can read it. Oh no. Seriously? You have to tell the people who are listening what the question is. Okay. I'm treating a family member, 23-year-old female, who had a spiral fracture of the fibula 
in 2013 developed CRPS, oops, pain spread to the right leg by 15, oops, had a car accident in 18. Okay, already there's ditch in there someplace. Then the pain was whole body, ick. So 40 and 10, that was the auto accident. Ongoing headaches, ligamentous injury. At, so that's the supine cervical practicum. Okay, so pain was whole body, that's 40 and 10. Ongoing headaches, that's the suboccipitals and fine cervical practicum with a lot of attention paid to 124 and 100. Hypermobile all over. So on top of everything else, she has Ehlers-Danlos or some version of it. Okay, so neck to feet, 124 and 77. And has undiagnosed POTS, which is also Ehlers-Danlos and concussion in Vegas. Trudy last night, starting pain was a four, concussion, 40 and 10. Yay, I'm so proud. Chronic fracture on the left leg. That might have been at 40 and 562, 40 and 89 for 25 minutes. Pain went down for two hours. No pain in the legs. The next morning, she felt exhausted and emotional. That's the Ehlers Danlos and the Vegas. And her thalamus midbrain trying to figure out who she is. Upper back pain wrapped around the trunk, hard to breathe fully. So I'm hoping that you did a sensory exam to find out why. Pain felt more sharp and prickly, radiating burning sensation. That's nerve. But it sounds like it sounds like the CRPS was in her legs. And the fibro is full body. That's 40 and 10. Do a sensory exam around the trunk. Hard to breathe fully usually means that the nerves, you probably changed her posture completely. And something in the thoracic spine won't expand. And the only thing I can think of is nerve pain. So you run Tell on the back, tell on the front, 40 and 396. And the CRPS was in her legs, but it. Got- I might add with that thoracic pattern, Vegas and the diaphragm are having a fit inside, and sometimes treating diaphragm for scarring can help with the Vegas, which is going to be a bit of a chasing your tail with everything else that's going on. But I always say nerves when the chest. Yeah. If the pain pain went away and the mobility improved every place else. Yeah. And then the thoracic nerves are what's left, especially right. if it's sharp and prickly. Yeah. Instead of she ran 4396, are you thinking of 49 or 81 396 or 13? No, just she ran 4396 down the leg. Oh, that was just in the leg. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what I would do because she had the CRPS in the legs. So That's right. it was 40 and 396 from the low back to the legs. Okay. Custom care is one more day with her before you fly home. Bad planning <laughs> on the legs. So put a towel along her spine and a towel along the front, run 40 and 396 and till the prickly pain in the chest goes away and it's 13, it's scarring in the thoracic nerves and then have her start taking I was going to say say yeah mobilize it with breath mobilize it with breath 
And the reason I know this works is I had open heart surgery. Right. And these nerves on the left-hand side were scarred. And we had to, in order to get my thoracic motion back, I think it was my C-spine. We had to treat scarring in the thoracics. So the thoracic motion was normal so that we could try and prevent my C-spine surgery. So that's what I would do. I hope it works. I'd say 40 and 89 for at least 30 minutes and 40 and 10, if you have enough machines to do 40 and 10 again, but 40 and 10, one on 40 and 89 for 30 minutes and then run concussion in Vegas. I think it runs 47 minutes. So split that other custom care between 40 and 89 and which is just quieting the midbrain for the yeah. civilians and 40 and 396 polarized positive stuff. And then 13, it, the trick in the thoracic spine, the reason she can't take a deep breath is scarring in the thoracic intercostal nerves. Mm-hmm. That's I've never seen it caused by anything else. Okay. Scarring in the ureter comes from, Oh no, Dana, this is a great question. Where does scarring in the ureter come from? Oh, yeah. That is a good question. We talk about treating it all the time. I know. And the places we've seen it are bladder infections, kidney infections, kidney stones. And more common is falling flat on your back. So I played football. I played soccer. And all you have to do is watch video of soccer games or football games where somebody gets speared at T12 with a helmet or a head or an elbow or foot. Yeah. And so a blow to the back, any bruising in the kidney fat pad, because the kidney's hardly ever truly injured, but the kidney fat pad gets bleeding. And then all it takes is a couple of drops of blood running down that ureter or psoas fascia line. And there's fibrocytes. So it's scarred. And then there you go. Oh, there you go. Is this the same Dana in the webinar chat that added to the? Yeah. I fell on my back while pregnant. Mysterious pain. Two months after the child was born, stabbing pain to the chest, hard to breathe. Adhesions in the ribs that pointed back to the fall during the pregnancy that was dormant until the pregnancy was over. And just to be a complete geek and a pain why was it that you didn't feel the pain until the pregnancy was over hcg human chorionic gonadotropin has been approved for the treatment of pain yes dana you're right and the hormones during pregnancy especially at the end of the pregnancy make everything really flexible because you know you have to do that impossible thing but hcg actually reduces pain yep it was towards the end oh i love it when it makes sense because we make this stuff up and hope that (laughs) it's the facts (laughs) right no but you're right everything is so loose towards the end to make way for what's about to happen right so it only makes sense that all that trauma too. And also like when you slip and fall when you're pregnant and something is in this perfect environment for being hypomobile or hypermobile because of the ligature laxity that's there. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. Exactly. That's yes. 
interesting. Oh, Cynthia, it's advanced six months, so we don't have 36 X points I missed, so give it to me. I can use it. Work like a charm on a patient. Long COVID loss of smell. Yep. It's no, I have changed the advanced again for those of you that have done the advanced before. And I'm focusing on the channel A frequencies. And long COVID is those same six viral frequencies we used in acute COVID. And they are, you just use them to change the signaling in the organs that are affected in long COVID, which include the vagus. So concussion in vagus doesn't include any frequencies for the virus. So you create a LC, long COVID, concussion in vagus, and you put those six virus frequencies for just two minutes. I guess you could put them in the medulla. I just put them in with the vagus to get the vagus re-signaling. Here's one for you. I had a young girl. She had a previous diagnosis of MCAS and now got moved up to Ehlers-Danlos and just had COVID. Oh, okay. This is who comes into me now. (laughs) You're welcome. And I'm sorry. So the diagnosis is backwards. She had Ehlers-Danlos first. Yes. That turns off the vagus. And that causes digestive dysfunction and that causes MCAS, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I just found out I have a new best friend, not best friend, but I have a new really good friend. Her name's Ann Rutter. She's a neurosurgeon in Virginia whose daughter has SIBO. And she told me, because she has time to read the literature, I guess, instead of anyway, that there are receptors on mast cells for IgG antibodies. Okay. So it's not just macrophages. It's not just the story I've been telling, which is macrophages eat the IgG complexes. They explode and release histamine. Yeah. That to me was always the mechanism for MCAS. Yeah. But she says that IgG antibodies have, there are receptors on mast cells that caused them to degranulate and release histamine. Yeah. So the trick is still get the vagus working. Treat for histamine. When Neil, God bless Neil Nathan, Neil Nathan had as a 60 minute presentation, but he wants me to give him 90 minutes so that we can do 30 minutes of how to use FSM to address what his slides are about and yeah it's so how to treat MCAS yeah and I have MCAS patients and short term getting rid of histamine is easy long term it's vagus it's mold it's treat the leaky gut it's give them oh come on brain the stuff that the bacteria in your gut are supposed to make but they don't Butyrate, thank you. Give them butyrate so it heals the gut. Treat the gut for torn and broken. And it's just not that hard. And it's fine to use drugs in antihistamine that is specific for SIBO and specific for MCAS. And it works. And so, okay, that's the progression. We live with one foot in each world. Use the word progression again. Yeah. 
I love progression. That's good. Or is there another? Oh, Stephanie. Client with loss of smell after a cold. Okay. So 38.00, et cetera, in the ethmoid sinus, and then had ethmoid surgery to scrape out the polyps. Same concept along with scarring. That's tricky because the guy that scraped out the polyps forgot that the ethmoid sinus is a, it's like artificial turf with the turf part being nerve roots. And if you indiscriminately just go up there and scrape all the polyps off, what are you doing to the nerve roots? Okay, fine. And the polyps were would have gone away had they had she had FSM back in the day and get rid of the viral signaling that causes the inflammation that causes the polyps. It, it's what caused it. It's inflammation will cause the inflammation the virus and i think that just that really simple sentence you just said what caused it that has to be on every slide at the core at the put it on a footnote somewhere because if you can the earlier you can start thinking how did i get how did we get here what caused this you know what that is actually as I rewrite the advanced, which I haven't started doing yet, as I rewrite the advanced, that may be where I start is this, I do say the advanced is, it's a way of thinking. Yes. Yes. And even in the core, it's all about what caused it. Yeah. And so you have to deal with what is there and yeah. you have to deal with what caused it yes at the same time if you can <laughs> enter multiple machines because yeah you do and i feel like so many times we're just being a hypocrite because i'm like you have to how did you get here you have to treat the cause you know like you said you have to treat the pain and that's in real time yeah but you've got five machines so you can do all that <laughs> yes that's how i get things done because you do have to treat in real time what you are seeing what they are presenting with but you have to go forward and back at the same time to think, okay, what's the history? How did we get here? And then where do you need the patient to go? What's going to keep the progress? What's going to keep the progression moving in the right direction? And the word that I keep hearing instead of progression is flexibility. Yes. It's flexibility of mind. It's just, yeah. And it's, sometimes it's painful. It, yeah. And there's still the course comes with the little bird. I have no idea why I would think of running gauge on a 10 year old who has, whose only symptom has been nausea, constant nausea, worse at night, but it's nausea, even on Zofran Zofran for two years and a 10 year old. Wow. They saw a gastroenterologist who said, here, have some Zofran. It's, I waited a year and a half for this appointment, so you could wow. tell me to keep taking Zofran. Thank you very much. And it, why did I think of TTH? The only reason I thought of TTH was that he, was, he had a high fever and was effectively out of his body for three days. You get company. It's like you leave your house with the lights on, the doors open, who comes in? 
Yeah. And I've never thought of it like that. I I have to be, I'm new still with all of this. I almost have to be hit over the head with the silver platter to use it when it's that person who gives that history that I'm just like, okay, don't even tell me anymore. Don't want to hear it. But yeah, something like that. I would have never gone there, but amazing that you did. I have the advantage that I was married to George Douglas for 31 years. And in the first eight or nine years, I was in the healing group every Friday night. And we talked about, thought about, I could never see any energetic stuff, but I believe the people who's, who could. Yeah. And that concept of energetic influences was so taken for granted in that group that I didn't, it's just, it's part of the wallpaper in my brain. And so I think of it probably when other people who haven't had that influence and now packing up George's house, the piles and boxes of books that never made it onto the bookshelves when he moved into this house. But the piles and boxes of books on theosophy, Alan Watts, energetic medicine, energetic diet, all of this stuff is a trip down memory lane for me because I stopped having time to go to the healing group in 2000, probably 2000 when I started traveling a lot. And the clinic got insanely busy. I was just too wiped out on Friday night to go. And it was, uh, yeah, it's an interesting concept. And like you said, like you wouldn't have gone there had you not have experienced it. And that's so many, so many things that I think I do well with FSM is because it, I've witnessed it. I've had to experience it. I've created a hypothesis that really worked. And so now I can see it everywhere. So it, that's, beauty of mileage. And then once you see it, you can't ever unsee it. And that can really, that can be a love hate. That can be a very like paradoxical statement. Welcome. I'm sorry. It's totally like that. We're arguing about like my kids and my kids' teammates and all the return to play and the potential for injury. And everybody thinks of me as like this negative Nelly because I'm like, no, it's too soon. This could happen. They're like, why are you, is your brain going there? I'm like, because that is how we pay the mortgage is the patients that are getting hurt doing these things. That is all I see. I not see the potential for danger. I cannot erase the cases of people who came back too fast and were re-injured. That and is then, the unfortunate part. And then the fact of the matter is that there are a lot of people who go back sooner than you would prefer. Yeah. And they don't get hurt and they do this. Yeah. Yep. And The thing is, the only ones we see are the ones where it doesn't go well. So somebody wants me to have a colonoscopy, right? I've managed to dodge a colonoscopy for now 26 years. And why is that? I only see the ones that go badly. Oh, it's such a small percentage. If it's 1% and you're the 1%, it's 100% for you. But you take out six inches of their colon and I treat their pelvic pain, their abdominal adhesions, their this and their that. And you don't have to deal with it. It's, oops, sorry, 
here, I'll do this surgery and you wear this bag and then we'll reconnect you and everything will be fine. Everything isn't fine. Thank you, Dana. And it's if your doctor's telling you to do a colonoscopy, what's interesting, to, I don't want to be anti, but the fact of the matter is that you can do, what do they call the stool test where they test for blood that says that you have colon cancer. Yes. You can do that. I'll do that test once a week. It's easy. It's just you do a little thing and you put it in a tube and it's done. When I asked the gastroenterologist about colonoscopies, the principle of colonoscopies is to prevent cancer. I said, I thought it was to discover cancer. He said, no, it's to discover polyps that turn into cancer. And then here was Here's the game. Stop this. It wasn't game changer. The game stopped. And I said, okay, what percentage? Where's the study? What percentage of polyps become cancerous? So what's the benefit risk? Colagard. Thank you, Miguel. What's the percentage of polyps that become cancerous? Oh, we can't do that study because it wouldn't be ethical. Excuse me. So you're going to take out a polyp, and those are the other ones I treat. They take out the polyp. It rips a hole in the colon. The patient gets peritonitis, and then they have to do an open surgery as an emergency because the patient has peritonitis, blah, blah, blah. So what's the benefit-risk ratio? Is it 1% of polyps? So you have a 99% chance that these, if they go in and they find 10 polyps, there's a 99% chance that none of them are going to be cancerous. They don't have the data. Yeah. So I'll do Cologuard any day. And it's because we only see the failures. That's right. And I admit to being prejudiced. I quite open. I never ever walk into a hospital and expect to walk out alive. Jeez. Yep. All right. It is four o'clock. My phone is going off. Oh, we it's did it true. again. Did it again. Here's my quote on progress or okay. progression. Progression. Progress is not inevitable. It is up to us to create it. Absolutely. So I liked this quote for the patients that sometimes don't see the progress where we have to remind them where we started and how far they've come but that it is not a donation. You, It is not a given. They have to work at it. And as they come from the starting point to the part where they usually start complaining, again, it's like losing that last 2%. So maybe there needs to be a little bit more effort on everybody's part to get them over to that last little piece. And the other piece of that is data. Yeah. So we haven't made any improvement. It's the wait. So on every chart note page I have 10 centimeter line and yep. a painting again. Yeah. And you have an oswestry that you yep. fill out every month. And your oswestry used to be 87 or it used to be 62 and now it's 87 and yep. then it's 91. Yep. And as you progress, it's incremental. Yeah. And the other piece of the progression, the, the phrase used was working on it. Yeah. Last night when I was going through this business with the brain, creating the image 
in the patient's mind of progress. Little periaqueductal gray and the power of visualization is the patient's contribution. It's not just doing, it's not just exercising, it's not just going for a walk. Yes. The placebo effect is 30%. And the placebo effect is believing that you can recover. Yeah. So my MS patient, whose grip strength went from five pounds to 15 and a hand that doesn't move, he already did the hard work. He believes that he is going to get out of his chair. Yeah. His mind is already seeing his body as improving and sending those descending messages down into his nervous system. Yeah. Saying it's going to get better. Yeah. Don't you just love progress? I love it. And I love you. And I love Wednesdays. I love Wednesdays. Thanks, everybody, for being here. See you next week. See you next week. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.